Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm Damian Volwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, California's all electric future. A confluence of events has focused interest on how we power our homes here in the Bay. On one hand, the recent rainstorms and cold snaps have tested the electrical grid and caused widespread outages. Relatedly, you've probably noticed your PG&E bill skyrocketing. That's because the company's paying more for the natural gas it pipes out to you due to high demand and tight supplies. Meanwhile, California and some local agencies in the Bay Area are moving to get natural gas out of your day-to-day life in the next couple decades. No more gas heaters, no more gas stoves, no more gas-powered cars. That's raising questions about the cost and about whether we're ready to make such a big transformation. My guest today is Chronicle reporter Claire Howe. She's been looking into the potential benefits and the challenges of the move to all-electric, and I wanted to ask her about what's coming both for the grid and for your home. Claire, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Claire, I want to start with California's plans for an all-electric future. They've been talking a lot about it. Some people have responded positively, some negatively, but what does California plan to do? California is really trying to be the leader in shifting away from powering the state with fossil fuel and instead switching to electricity. You know, some electricity is powered by natural gas plants as of now, but the goal is to have electricity be 90% from clean resources like solar and wind. And they've have several goals that they want to meet in the coming decade. No new gas power plants are to be built in the state. The state is looking to ban the sale of new natural gas heaters and furnaces by 2030. The Bay Area is looking to ban them even earlier. And as widely reported last September, Californians won't be able to buy new gas-powered cars after 2035. I mean, these are really monumental shifts. For people that are, are building new homes, developers, it's probably no big deal to put in an electric water heater. But people that need to replace a gas heater will need to do so with an electric heater starting in 2030. That's a big deal. To be clear, nobody's saying that your existing gas heater or gas stove is going to be ripped out of your home right now or any time before 2035. The goal is the next time somebody is on the market for a new car or for a new gas heater or for a new stove, what's available after a certain amount of time will only be electric options. Okay. And you might have to reconfigure your house. It might cost you some money. There's some concern there. Definitely. It's a big logistical challenge on the home end. Claire, I know you spoke to engineers and energy experts as you're reporting this. Do people think we can do these things? Is this stuff truly possible? I mean, there's been a number of federal and state action, especially in the last year, to try to make some of this more feasible, most notably the Inflation Reduction Act, which has a lot of tax credits and subsidies for people to electrify their homes and make them more energy efficient. I think a lot of the people I talk to, they've been working in the electrification sphere for a while, and they're optimistic. And they say that if we don't do it now, that the consequences are going to be 
pretty severe. I mean, the reason for electrifying homes and electrifying how we power the state in general is to burn less fossil fuels and to mitigate and adapt to some of these climate change impacts that we're already seeing. What are the downsides of the current system? Yeah, well, for example, you know, residential and commercial buildings account for about 25% of California's greenhouse gas emissions. So it's an important place to begin. But also in the current system, a lot of natural gas appliances, they still require electricity to operate. So even if there is a power outage, a lot of times natural gas appliances aren't able to be used either. And there are fossil fuel generators, but electrification folks are really trying to encourage people to think of electric solutions to power outages, such as having a home battery or, you know, in the next couple of years, having your electric vehicle be able to power your home when there's a power outage. I want to ask you a little later about that and your reporting on the smart home. But you write that all of these moves are complicated by power outages. It's something that people have experienced in the Bay Area. It's very frustrating. People just went through it with the recent storms. I think 2.6 million PG&E customers lost power just in those New Year's Eve storms. Is moving to an all-electric future complicated by simply the need to keep the lights on to make sure there aren't outages? I mean, definitely that's a concern, you know, as more and more people shift to electric There's the question of how do we keep our home running if we have an all-electric home and there's a lot of outages. You know, if everything's on the electric system, will the electric system have enough supply to meet all of the demand from all of these new appliances that are going to be all-electric, from EVs? So I know that's what a lot of state regulators, key people in the grid are thinking about as we move into the decades to come. Obviously, more solar, more wind power, things like this. Yes. One interesting thing that I I saw in your reporting is that people that have actually experienced outages tend to be more skeptical about going electric. A UC Santa Barbara researcher found that residents who experienced public safety power shutoffs frequently, which are outages that utilities implement to reduce wildfire risk, they had more intentions to buy fossil fuel generators, understandably, to, you know, keep their home power during power outages and less intentions to purchase electric vehicles compared to residents in similar neighborhoods without outages. Like we talked about, the home is an important place for electrification, but that's also very much so dependent on individual families and what makes sense for them. And that's something that, you know, planners and the utilities and the grid operator all have to work to change if we want to move into this all electric future. Well, that's so interesting. They would say that they would have less interest in an electric car. I want to ask you about that in a second. But first, let's take a quick break on Fifth and Mission. Also, a reminder, we're going to be taping an episode of this podcast live at Manny's in the Mission District on Thursday, February 16th at 6.30 p.m. And we want you to join us. For tickets, go to welcometomanny's.com. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line it's possible complex specialty care that cares about your roi 
It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, joined by Chronicle reporter Claire Howe. Claire, you were saying that folks that have experienced these PG&E outages in some cases are less likely to express interest in an electric car. But you also mentioned that in these smart homes of the future, you might be able to actually power your home with your car. So talk a little bit more about the future of the home and the smart home, according to some of the experts. Yeah, so the electric vehicles and their ability to be a giant battery for homes is something that PG&E and the grid operator both have a lot of interest in. Right now, that technology isn't really in practice. Both the grid operator and PG&E said that that's technology that they expect in the next couple of years. But they really see that as a way for people to be more energy independent, to be able to use their car as a backup. If there's a whole suite of electrical appliances, then during times when the grid is really stressed, for example, last September, when we had that heat wave and demand for air conditioning was really high, and thus electric demand was really high, and there were certain times of the day where the grid operator really wanted people to use less power, the idea is that a lot of these electrical appliances will be able to take signals from the grid operator and adjust their power use without customers even being able to notice. Claire, what about outside the home? I mean, what can we do to make the electric grid more reliable, keep the power on? There's a few things that PG&E and other utilities have been doing to try to make their infrastructure more resilient to things like wildfire and storms. They're undergrounding 10,000 miles of power line. Undergrounding is really, really expensive. So there's only a certain amount that PG&E and other utilities are willing to do. But they underground lines, they said, in areas with the highest fire risk, you know, vegetation management, building stronger poles. But outside of just strengthening existing infrastructure, they're also thinking about, in some ways, decentralizing this monolith grid as a whole. So for example, PG&E has several pilot projects where they're in areas that are particularly hard hit by climate impacts. They're looking at the solution known as microgrids. It's very much so what it sounds like. It's a small grid meant for a particular community. Some of them are designed to be able to be connected to the larger grid. Some of them operate completely independently from the larger grid. But regardless, the intent is if there is an outage on the larger grid that these microgrids can island themselves. And for example, the Redwood Coast Airport has a microgrid and PG&E pointed to that microgrid as essential to keeping the power on during both the January storms and also a December earthquake up in Humboldt County while power was out in all of the surrounding communities. It also remains to be seen whether, you know, microgrids are the future for every community or if they're just for communities that are particularly hard hit by climate impacts. There's also the cost, how new that technology is and also how expensive it is to build a grid for a small community rather than the large grid that we have now. I do want to ask you about the sort of larger response to some of these things. Some people get really mad about moves away from natural gas. Why is that? What are you seeing? And are the the regulators and the, the leaders aware of this sort of opposition and how to push through it? I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, 
my heating bill was really high in December. I think right now we're in this sort of awkward, painful transition phase where some of these solutions are still somewhat theoretical. For example, the smart home EVs being able to power homes during outages where a lot of people don't have electrical appliances or don't have electric vehicles, can't afford them in the near future. I mean, people that don't have appliances where you can say, start the washer at 3 a.m., they can't always be part of this. Yeah. And I mean, you know, as I report on this, a lot of this seems really far away from anything that I would own in the near future. I am younger and I'm still renting in an apartment. So a lot of those choices of appliances and electric vehicles are not really for my stage of life. Like I said earlier, a lot of our electricity is still generated by natural gas power plants. The grid operator still thinks of natural gas as necessary during this transition. As we transition away from mostly fossil fuels to electricity, we're still going to need to rely on natural gas for power, especially during some of these peak times that we saw during September heat wave between you know 6 to 9 p.m. when the sun's going down. So solar power is less available, but demand is still really high as people return home from work and start cooking and you know go about other business. With this debate about natural gas and electric, there's it's been set up as a binary without as much understanding of how intertwined a lot of these things are. So it's not going to be all of a sudden natural gas disappears from our homes and from our lives, like a lot of these goals to remove natural gas appliances, target new appliances, target new sales of cars. So we're talking about decades. Mm -hmm. Yes, decades. So Claire, for people that are nervous in the Bay Area about this future, the all electric home, what would you tell them? I would say that we're like very much so at the beginning of this transition. There might be technology that will ease this transition that hasn't even been invented yet. Regulators and utilities and the grid operator are testing solutions right now and are thinking about planning for the decades to come. And that there is this transition time to figure out what works best for each home, for each person. Maybe for some people, electric stoves won't be as painful as they imagine, or they'll come to even like them, as some of the people I talk to have found. But overall, I think it'll take at least a decade to really see some of these solutions become more mainstream. Claire Howe, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Claire Howe is a Hearst Fellow at The Chronicle. Find her story about California's all-electric future at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. And don't forget, you can get tickets to that live episode of Fifth and Mission taping at Manny's on February 16th. Get those at welcometomanny's.com. Thanks to Francesca Fenzi for producing this episode, to Gary Baca for editing it, and thank you for listening. <laughs> 